He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Months Inside the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. Joined by the rents of the Munsons, want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser? A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. This is a big episode. Not only is it episode 50, which is fucking bananas that we're this far into this thing. Crazy. But number two, we've got a fantastic guest returning. And then number three, it feels like Christmas morning, come early, Warren has risen from the depths to join us for episode 50, man. Welcome back. Let's go, boys. Big episode. Welcome back. And welcome back, Rodemeyer. Yeah, Rodemeyer. thanks. Not Rodemeyer. <laughs> not Rodemeyer. Congratulations on uh, 5-0. I didn't realize this was the episode. That's huge. We're officially over the hill. Yes, we are. <laughs> but Warren, it's good to have you. Glad you'd come back and hang out with us. How's life been since the last time we had you? Yeah, life's good. It's a great time to record this episode. You know, 5-0 is just kind of divine intervention. So Thanksgiving break coming up. Glad to glad to be able to come back and enjoy some good with some also very bad Jim Carrey. Rigby, how about you, man? Life's good. Getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. Very happy to have Warren back. I'm working from home today, so I've watched a, way too many of these early season college basketball tournaments that I care to admit today. But it's been it's been a good sports viewing day today for sure. James, I'm good, man. I'm just happy to finally got the War Dog back, and it's for a big episode. And I mean, who's there better to talk to? I mean, t- I mean, talk to. Of course, I love you guys. Talk about than Jim Carrey. I'm pumped. Ace, I'm re- actually quite interested to hear how you guys received Jim Carrey's movies. Differently or similarly than I did. So I'm, I'm really interested in tonight's discussion. And I can't wait. Let's go. I'm with it. I'm just going to keep us flying because there's nothing exciting in my life. I've just been like wedding after wedding. And somehow my knee hasn't fallen apart from the dance floor quite yet. Give it time. <laughs> it was pretty swollen after w- wedding one. Let me put it that way. Are you still bringing your own cardboard for your breakdancing routine? <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I I ask the venue to provide that. Because <laughs> it's all about liability. It's in the contract. They provide cardboard and water. That's very important. <laughs> uh, like I said, big episode. We've got Warren back with us and uh, Mike Rodmaker making his third appearance in the pod. For those who haven't heard an episode with Mike previously, he's born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. He moved to Los Angeles in 2016 to pursue a career in photography and film. He's working those fields focused on the outdoors, sports, and documentary filmmaking. He's an avid runner, climber, movie nerd, and popcorn enthusiast. If you don't believe me, follow him on Instagram, and you'll figure that out quickly. In the last 24 hours, there were lots of running posts on there. So <laughs> I can confirm Yeah, he's not bullshitting us. And Rod Maker was previously with us for the Mahershala Ali and Philip Seymour Hoffman episode. So uh, Rod Maker picks bangers. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how that goes. You guys uh, are just giving me softballs, though. It's <laughs> those are easy. You know, Jim Carrey is not a whole lot different. So I appreciate no. the opportunities. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go Wesley Snipes. So we can talk Blade and then upcoming Blade like we did with uh, Mahershala. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mike, tell our audience a little bit about some of the, the newer projects you've been working on lately. And, uh... Photography, uh, obviously, as you all know, but I also do uh, camera department work, which has been busier late. Uh, I was working on a, a documentary kind of in, in LA and was out in Atlanta for about a week. And just, yeah, covering that, this one's about the, the black church, which is pretty interesting. And a little bit of like folks experience firsthand, but like a lot of the controversy, not quite as bad as like the Catholic church, but there's, you know, some parallels there, which has been interesting. When you say some parallels, like which parallels specifically? <laughs> oh, goodness, man. Not, uh, not all the same parallels, but there's also it's a drama and I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, fair um, There you go. I can't do that. That's been a good one. I'm not sure when that one's going to come out. There's still some work to be done. I know it's a longer term project, but I will keep you posted when I hear more about it. And there's another one that I was I was on Joshua Tree for a little while working on. Just just a little bit of a role there, but from a really great writer. It's called My Divorce Party. And that is due out, I think, probably sometime middle of next year. It's really witty. Uh, she is a, the writer director is very, very talented. Nice. Yeah, should be good. Rod Maker, happy to have you back, man. And uh, let's let's have some fun. Let's get into this. Yeah, man. Yep. All right, birthday is December second. First up, we got Britney Spears. She's been in the news recently from her conservatorship. It's finally ended. So free Britney. Yeah. Britney is finally free. Totally on that team. <laughs> she got it. She won. Yeah. Yep. She did. She won. Yeah. It was like yeah. a week ago. They finally ended it. Britney is finally free after all that hard work. I am going to continue to wear my free Britney shirts. Just so <laughs> No way. I want to do Britney because she's been in the news, but I also wanted to make us feel very old. So how old is Britney Spears turning on December 2nd? I think she's a few years older than me because of based on where I was at the puberty stage when she was famous. So I'm going to say she's like 40? 37. 41. 39. Kyle? I'll take 38. I'll, I'll go in line. James on the dot, 40. 40. Yeah. Nice. That's my girl, you know? I thought she was going to be older than that for some reason. I thought she was going to be younger for sure. Good job, James. Up next, we got Joe Latruglio. He's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Super <laughs> bad. Um <laughs> Role yeah. models. Bro, he's Role models. He's also Elmo in I Love You Man. Everything he got. Everything he got. <laughs> this is awesome. One of my favorite cameos in that movie. How old's our boy Joe turning on December 2nd? I I yeah, dude, I, I have got no, no idea. idea who this is. Yeah. I'm gonna go 45. He's looked 45 his whole life. That's a good guess. I feel like he hasn't aged since I saw him in this first movie like 15 years ago. So he came out of the womb a middle-aged man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty good i'll go 40 on the dot again him and him and britney born same day nice give me 43 i'm going 50 <laughs> i like it 46 he was at least in his mid-20s when uh wet out american summer came out yep yeah so he's actually turning 51 so warren wins that oh, oh wow nice that's a tough one because like i said he doesn't look it he hasn't aged at all so <laughs> I think he's been 40 for 25 years. <laughs> Last but not least, we got Lucy Liu. Oh, man, these are great birthdays. Just watched the Kill Bill movies for the Daryl Hannah episode, so she's fresh on the mind of the Munsons. But she's also in Charlie's Angels, Good Shanghai dude. Noon. She dates Larry David in an episode of Curb this season. <laughs> yep. latest, episode, latest, season of, yes. latest season of Curb, she watches Larry David walk into a glass wall, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. That scene is amazing. Oh, Lucy Liu. Give me 37. Oh, 37. Man, I'm going way higher. I'm going 50. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. Oh, boy. I'm going 50, 54. Keep going high. 46. No, I'm going to say f- 56. She was in Charlie's Angels. 
Yep. And that was she has, she, she has a either. She looks no, exactly That's why it's impossible to guess. <laughs> She's turning 53. Oh, I had 54. I was one over. Nice. 50. Dang it. Hickman gets it on the on the prices right rules. Nice job. I'll take one tonight. Good birthdays, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, that was awesome. That's a good. All right, five actors that were on the wheel. The four that weren't selected, that weren't options for Rodmaker, were Wesley Snipes, Lucy Punch, Fisher, My Head is Huge, Stevens, and Liam Big Dick Neeson. But none of those four are the actor of choice. Lucy Punch is going to make me laugh forever with James's line at the end of the last episode. <laughs> of all those options. If that would have been the one we did, I would have been furious. I'm going to Lucy punch Rodmaker. <laughs> I figured I needed to mix it up. It was drama heavy. So, you know, Harry's a good opposite end of that spectrum. I think you made the best choice. Yes, you did. I thought the wheel decided. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it sure, does. It, sure, does it sure fucking does. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Allegedly. Uh, but Jim Carrey was selected. He's got 65 credits on his resume. Most of them are comedies, which we will talk about. There's some drama mixed in, some good, some bad, and we'll get into it. <laughs> but we'll start with some trivia. James, you know the deal. Absolutely. Can stump us. So, Rodemaker, you are part of the initiated, so you know this deal. But for those of you just tuning in, I'm about to read three interesting facts here. Two of them are going to be actually true about Jim Carrey's life, and one of them is going to be true about one of the many cast members of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Guys are going to guess which one is not true about Jim Carrey. So here we go. Fact number one. He grew up in extreme poverty and was homeless for a short period of time, which led him to be a part of a self-described theft ring. Fact number two. Was pen pals with Tupac Shakur while Tupac was in prison. Fact number three. Was the original choice to play Ernie McCracken in Kingpin, but had to decline due to scheduling conflicts. Oh, man. Dude, I, I love that Kingpin fact. Good. I have a feeling that's true. Three. That's a great one. I man. want it to be true. Yeah. I want it to be true. The Fairley brothers love him, so that would make yeah. sense. I want it to be true, but I'm also glad it's not, or I'm glad it didn't work out because no one could replace Bill Murray as Ernie McCracken. Yeah. There is nobody in the Fast and Furious franchise that I would want. Touching that role. John Cena? Yeah. <laughs> the only person in that who could have done it would have been Helen Mirren. <laughs> she actually could pull that off. I think James is returning to returning to his roots. I think one is the lie, and I think that's Vin Diesel. Hmm. This is why I don't look at the screen. It, it, one is the one with the uh, the Cockney pit pockets, right? Yes. Then that's definitely, it's that, and it's Charlie's Theron. He's going back to his roots twice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It is one, but that's actually Sincerely A. Ward, who played Slapjack's girlfriend in Too Fast, Too Furious. Come on. Slapjack. Duh. We're at episode 50. At this point, the people that you mock and say it is, I'm going to have to actually do research on them because I'm running out of interesting facts. I, I just got to imagine it's the first one. I just imagine that homelessness in Canada is much less of an issue than it is in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that the fact number two is actually about Gina Carano, who was reportedly fired from the Fast and the Furious franchise after her fallout with Disney. Yep. Which, by the way, we could all see Jim Carrey doing, I'm sure, <laughs> getting fired from a major movie franchise. Uh, no question about that, yes. Actually, you guys did really well on the guesses here. We'll go with the big one first. So fact number three, 
he was, in fact, the first original choice to play Ernie McCracken in Kingpin. Oh. Uh, he had to decline because he was getting the largest paycheck at the moment of his life to be in the sequel to Ace Ventura, as well as The Cable Guy, so he couldn't do it. Cable Guy, yeah. Rigby, what you said is what I fully agree with. That. Bill Murray pretty much like ignored the entire script and just ad-libbed all his scenes, and I just can't imagine... It would be a completely different movie with Jim Carrey. I think yeah. Bill Murray's kind of old assholeness is what makes that character so great. And Jim Carrey is not that type of actor. Fact number two, he was pen pals with Tupac Shakur while Tupac was in prison. Is is true. So wow. when he got arrested, it was all over the news and he went to prison. And that was actually at the height of when Jim Carrey first exploded onto the, onto the scene there. And Tupac said in an interview that Carrie was his favorite actor. And so Jim took the moment to like write him funny shit and send it to him while he was in prison. And they became friends. That friendship only lasted a year though. Cause Tupac died very quickly after that. And fact number one grew up in extreme poverty and was homeless for a short period of time. If I would have stopped it at that, it would have been true. So Jim Carrey actually was homeless, but we'll touch on his situation a little bit later. But the next part, not about Jim Carrey where he was part of a self-described theft ring that's actually Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, oh, shit. Turned to theft to pay bills when he was a teenager. Um, actually landed him in jail eight times before he was 17. So essentially juvie where you get picked up. I was actually going to say him, but didn't he? wasn't his like, dad a famous wrestler? Like, what, Didn't he have money growing up? You would think being a famous wrestler, you would have money. But famous wrestler in the 80s, yeah, money true. when it's first coming is not really a thing. True. And he grew up in Hawaii, and he's like, it was just extreme poverty. We moved, like, I think he said he moved, like, 13 times. They moved it so many times because they couldn't get work. Yeah, those were good, man. That's a great fact, James. Nice job. Yeah, well done. Hey, tell us about his snapshot and box office history. The two areas that jumped out at me the most when I was pulling together the data for Jim Carrey, the first thing that jumped out at to me was how poorly he ranks in the critic and fan rankings. With 51.8%, he comes in 37th in critic ranking. Not a big surprise. With 58.9%, he comes in at 34th in fan ranking. And that one I found surprisingly low. The one area that I was really surprised at was his star meter ranking. At the time of recording, he comes in 549th, which ranks him 16th on our list. That's, that's about right. However... He probably has the best star meter profile of anyone we've covered. His lowest ranking of all time from the time IMDb was invented until now is 549th, which is his current ranking. <laughs> Other than that, his rankings are always hovering around 100, like being in the top 100, with his highest ranking in December of 2000, which was three when uh, The Grinch came out. And that's it impressively fascinating testimony to his name recognition and, and career relevance. So as I was trying to kind of put together some, some context to that, an actor with a very similar but slightly higher profile would be Denzel Washington. Wow. Interesting. Quite the comparison. And I'm just sitting there going, holy shit. You saying that just further justifies my very biased belief in that I think people are just mad that some 90s movies didn't age well. But these guys were like the peak of... Hollywood at those times. Yeah. Of the 35 films I have in my spreadsheet, only 11 of them lost money. However, when a Jim Carrey movie loses money, it loses money. <laughs> he goes all in on these. <laughs> and we have two films that, when I say made 
nearly no money. It, it's as close as we have to a zero. <laughs> the Bad Batch made 202000 on a $6 million budget. And a movie we're going to talk about later, Dark Crimes, on a $4.3 million budget, made twenty one grand. Wow. <laughs> Fucking brutal. Rightfully it's, so. That, it earned its twenty one grand. I think it was as dark as the poop I took this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise. His biggest box office successes were comedies where he was the driving force in the middle of his heyday. The Mask and Dumb and Dumber both made nearly 15 times their investment. Comparing him to other performers, he ranks 15th in film budget, which is crazy high for a comedic film actor. He ranks 16th in Star Meter, 37th and 34th, respectively, in critic and fan ranks, and 12th and 11th in two different box office measurements. All of that added up, put it into the supercomputer, and kick out some data. He comes out ranked number... 23. Oh, fuck you, dude. That can't be right. He cannot <laughs> be number is 23. Right. No way. It is wow. number 23. No way. Again. No way. And number 23. <laughs> That's great. Are you fucking kidding me, man? 23? I'm not. That's amazing. Wow. It's fate. It is fate. Well, at least for this episode. I mean, the movie was based on a true story. That's fucking hilarious, <laughs> dude. I can't wait you to can't make this up. Fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> So 23 out of 50 case. We'll, we'll see how the, yep. the Munsimeter score lines up here in a little bit. All right. First major role is in 85, the early days of Jim Carrey. James t- touched on a number of these pieces, but as he mentioned, uh, Carrey is Canadian, Toronto born. Started doing impressions at the age of eight years old. And one of his early influences was Monty Python. Not a bad one to have mm-hmm. if you're going to get into comedy early. As James had mentioned, his dad, who was also a very funny guy, according to Carrie, by his own right, kind of took the safe route, became an accountant, but got fired at one point, and the family was homeless in his teens. And so at a certain point, he, Jim like dropped out, started doing comedy at 15 while working at the Titan Wheels factory and doing comedy at Yuck Yucks. Did he have problems in school or did he just drop out? Oh. His dad couldn't get a job, to, and it was him and I believe it was a brother, to the point where he was in ninth grade, and he had to drop out and work a full eight-hour shift as a ninth grader for them to eventually move from their car that they were living in back into a house. Yikes. Yeah. Let's just put it this way. Carrie hustled early on when he started. I mean, like, trying to take care of the family, doing comedy at Yuck Yucks, and trying to get noticed. Nothing was handed to Jim Carrey in terms of the entertainment business at all. It's definitely one of those stories that you hear it from actors and it sounds made up because it's like, yeah, and you know, I was living on the street and then one day just struck gold. But he is that story. He was he was not handed anything and he had to earn it. Humble, humble beginnings for for Mr. Carrey. He's auditioned for SNL three times over the years. Never made it. His first time was in 80, which in hindsight, sounds like a terrible idea on Lauren Michaels' part, but... Where were you on that one, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, he, he, I am Coke. He's hosted it a couple times, too, so that must have felt good. He's like, I tried to work here, like, four times. <laughs> tried an 80, didn't make it. Tried tried a couple more times, but it's all good. He's, he's found success in other places, of course. Um, but his first role was in 1981's Rubber Face. It's an hour-long movie that's on YouTube, so you can catch it. Just type in Rubber Face plays Tony, does some impressions. A lot of the early stuff with Jim Carrey before he gets into his heyday is him doing 
impressions. His early stand-up comedy wasn't like typical yeah. joke delivery. It's him just up there in impersonating anyone and everyone that he can. He's got a great Jack Nicholson from those days. It's awesome. Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing a lot of Canadian stuff early on. He's He was discovered allegedly by Rodney Dangerfield on the comedy circuit in the U.S. That's kind of what brought him into the U.S. market a little bit more for his comedy. Rodney Dangerfield is criminally underrated for the impact he had on the stand-up comedy industry of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Yep. I bet you more than half of those big comedians were discovered or, or promoted by Rodney Dangerfield. Completely agree. Got more jokes per second than anybody I've ever heard. Next movie we'll note, he was in a movie called Copper Mountain, played a character named Bobby. He, in that movie, which is also like an hour long, he spends the whole movie trying to pick up women with his impressions. He's got a tool, he's using it, and he succeeds by the end of the movie. He dated Linda Ronstadt in 83 and also wrote his infamous $10 million check. He grew up, again, in extreme poverty. And at this point, he had this kind of like spiritual awakening where he saw that his dad lost a job doing something he didn't love. And so he's like, I've already been poor, so why not just... That's the worst they could get. Why not be poor doing something I love? And what he did is he believes in... It's like the law of attraction. So you man, there is, you manifest something. And so he believes in that. And what he did is he wrote himself a check and he post-dated it for $10 million for acting services rendered in the hopes that he could cash it within 10 years. And it was like a way to motivate himself. Lo and behold, he was able to do that. And if you have that kind of experience, man, that is going to shape your opinion on everything moving forward. You're like, hey, I just imagined getting 10 million and then I got 10 million. Yeah, that's going to turn someone into having some spiritual beliefs. No question. And the coolest part about that story is when his dad passed, he had still had that original check and he put the check with his dad in the coffin and buried it with his dad. Awesome. So I thought that was a really cool story. He gets choked up when he talks about his dad anytime in interviews and things like that. And he's, he's very, was very close with him. Did he also have a picture of Linda Ronstadt up in his mirror and that's how that <laughs> happened? <laughs> Same time, she might have an influence there. I mean, that's a big deal, early 80s like that. Hell yeah. At that time, man, like, he wasn't doing that well in the comedy circuit. No. He was afraid of being pigeonholed as, like, an impersonation comic, because you can only go so far with that. And so he tried to start doing, he was obviously inspired by Andy Kaufman, but he tried to start doing what he thought was funny, and people hated it. He got booed off the stage all the time. And, and he was, people would ask like, how, what happens that leads you to get booed off the stage? He's like, well, one time I pretended to be, I didn't say anything and pretended to be a cockroach trying not to get stepped on for five minutes. <laughs> and the crowd hated it. And they just booed me until I left. He's like, I thought it was funny. That's just straight up Andy Kaufman right there. Yeah. And dude, that he's, you could, t- he was so moved by Andy Kaufman's brand of humor. It's funny when you hear stuff like this, especially with someone like Jim Carrey, who you know get booed off the stage and take some of these risks and it's a little bit grounding because it's like you know we all experience failure you know on a daily or weekly basis and you know just a little uplifting right even even the greats feel it right and in his case for a long time absolutely um so he's done a lot he's doing a lot of small stuff right here a lot of canadian work um, and his first recurring role was in 84 is the duck factory but his first major role that we're going to talk about is in 1985's Once Bitten, and James has it. This movie has a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, 39% audience score. I think I'm pretty firmly closer towards the 10%. I wasn't 
big into these kind of 80s sex comedies that were super popular at that time. And this was definitely trying to play off of that experience. I mean, that kind of genre that was super popular. And so what this is, is a vampire known as the Countess. Uh, She's kept her youthful looks by drinking the blood of male virgins. And so Jim Carrey plays a virgin. Such a time capsule of just like really inappropriate 80s jokes. Like the main thing is the vampire, uh, the Countess doesn't want to be ugly because obviously that's the most important thing to a vampire. And Jim Carrey just wants to have sex and he's a virgin because his perfect cookie cutters 50s style girlfriend won't have sex with him and isn't that just the worst and like all the jokes are like sex jokes or like gay jokes or like really inappropriate and it was just one of those things where like oh i haven't laughed yet but what you could see is jim carrey's physical mannerisms starting to like you could see the potential at that point, because there, there's, there's a scene where he is just walking across the street, and it's just walking across the street. So, like, I've been in the script. It's not funny. But with him, he made this nothingness funny. I laughed one time, though, and it was uh, the vampires go out to find virgins, and it's Jim Carrey and his friends. And they're like, there's no virgins in L.A., especially in the 80s. Kids today have sex all the time. And they find Jim Carrey and his friends, and Jim Carrey's driving an ice cream truck. And they're like, oh, never mind. Those guys are definitely virgins. <laughs> I was like, all right, that was fun. And I was like, I'll give that joke. That was good. Uh, but the rest of the movie was, it's completely not worth your time or even worth discussing. I'm surprised that in like the 80s that there were even like vampire movies. Like I couldn't imagine a worse time to go around drinking blood than during the AIDS epidemic. <laughs> AIDS epidemic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> insensitive as fuck one scene i did laugh at in the movie was early on when he's trying to he's trying to hook up in the car at the movie like the drive-in and she won't do it and he gets out and all you see then is there's like 20 cars and they're all going up and down everyone's fucking and it pans out and he's just standing in the middle of 20 cars just bouncing up and down i was like oh this could be campy as fuck the rest of this movie so i laughed at that but that was about it there was one scene where he, he showed a little physical comedy. I think it was when he was when his girlfriend was working and he was trying to get her attention behind the customer's back. And he just does typical carry like physical comedy stuff. It was like ten seconds, but it was like, oh okay, like right. this guy this guy has it, right? <laughs> you could see where it was going and you could see why someone put him in a low budget movie like this because they're like, All right, well he's kinda quirky and he's handsome. We can make this work. And you see the potential, no question. But the movie stinks. Uh, well, we'll just keep moving. For the best. Yeah. Because we got the good stuff coming. 86, he's in Peggy Sue Got Married alongside Nicolas Cage, which, interesting Nicolas Cage role. He plays Walter Getz. We were originally going to do this as Critic App, but his role is just not big enough, yeah. I think, for it to count as Critic App. He plays a high school student. Who's super popular in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a bit huge actors. Was this a Francis Ford Coppola movie? I think that yes. I think so. Are you fucking kidding me? How the hell did they get Francis Ford Coppola to do a time travel movie? They're trying to keep up with Back to the Future, I suppose, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was Nick Cage and Kathleen Turner were the two leads. I mean, it's a pretty big time in the 80s. And that's probably also why the critics gave it such a huge ranking is because you tie a name like that to a prestige director and people refuse to admit that something they did sucks at that point. Like. <laughs> 
be like, no, oh my God, he's the best director in the game. And be like, yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> so you get a lot of that. I did enjoy this movie, but I, I think a lot of the comedic references were very dated. Like jokes, like when they're teasing, she's teasing her dad about buying an Etzel. That doesn't land with me. I mean, I get, I get the joke, but it's not. Yeah. It doesn't land with me. 87, he married Melissa Wilmer and had his first daughter, Jane. A couple of years after Linda got married to someone else. And uh, and then 88, he was in the Deadpool as Johnny Squares, one of the uh, Dirty Harry movies, just doing all the Jim Carrey things. It's like a drugged out rock singer, essentially, in that one. Largest critic app is actually Earth Girls Are Easy. And Kate's going to talk about that in that movie. Yeah, Earth Girls Are Easy is a 69 critic, 42 audience. It's a 1988 sci-fi rom-com starring a very popular at the time, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, Damon Wayans, and Jim Carrey. It also features Julie Brown, who released an album in 1984 titled Goddess in Progress, which featured the song Earth Girls Are Easy, which is the basis of this movie. Brown plays Riley, who is Gina Davis's friend and partner in crime during the movie. In this movie, three aliens played by Jim Carrey, Jeff Goldblum, and Damon Wayans are traveling through space and decide to visit Earth because, well, for a lack of a better term, they're horny. And uh, they have been without female companionship for quite some time. And they receive a transmission coming from Earth of, of attractive women. And they end up targeting California and they end up landing in Gina Davis's pool. When Davis meets the aliens, her personal life is in turmoil, having just learned that her fiancé was cheating on her. Let me back up. This is a crazy movie. And I'm about to make zero sense, (laughs) but I'm going to do the best I can. So she agrees to show the aliens around after what would be the equivalent to a full-body wax with the help of her friend Riley. She takes the aliens on a night on the town. Let me back up another second. So they are a furry blue, furry red, and furry yellow alien, right, Kyle? Yep, the Teletubbies. Yeah. <laughs> basically, that's exactly right. The inspiration from the Teletubbies. The movie gets its name, basically, from a scene where uh, Jeff Goldblum is, is talking with Gina Davis right before they have sex, and she stops and tells him that she doesn't want to because she doesn't want everybody to think Earth Girls are easy. As awkward and as forced as that sound, I actually found it to be a pretty well-placed and delivered line. The movie's a wild ride. It's part sci-fi, part rom-com, part musical. That caught me off guard a few different times. And part comedy. There are a lot of ways to describe this movie. As zany and as unwatchable as everything I have said sounds, I did find myself enjoying it. Uh, It was no means a a laborious watch. If you haven't seen it and you got some spare time, check it out. Just temper your expectations. We do get a taste of Jim Carrey and his signature physical comedy. I will say, once the aliens are in human form, I actually thought Jim Carrey was the best actor portraying an alien in human form and jeff goldblum (laughs) sucked once they were in human form he was just not very good carrie was great at mimicking human dialogue and moving in really odd patterns that you might envision as an alien moving in my only problem with carrie in this role is that he wasn't needed for his role and you could have had a lot of different actors performing this role and i don't think it would have changed the movie he was good in it but it just if he had somebody else he wouldn't needed him I enjoyed the movie and I'm glad I was able to knock this off. I've, I've heard of this movie a thousand times. I've never watched it. I can knock this off my list. The movies haven't seen uh, Jim Carrey, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, Damon Wayans, and I guess Julie Brown. 
Got us in progress. His signature physical comedy works really well in this act like a wacky alien movie. So yeah. I'm with you. It's probably in the 50 to 60 range, but it's got a 66 meta score. The its critics really like it. So I liked it. It was good. I would lean heavily towards the critics on this. Just hearing your review made me think of the scene in Dude Where's My Car when like the hot alien women come down and they go, We are extremely hot alien chicks. <laughs> For some reason, I thought of that movie. This movie is about as random and as zany as Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> it really is. All right, so it might be enjoyable. I should have watched is what you're saying. Yeah, you should definitely watch it. We've got a pretty big gap before our next review. So we've got his many appearances over 124 episodes of In Living Color. Although he didn't get onto SNL In Living Color, I think gave him access to a pretty big audience. Yeah and doing a lot of his characters. I was doing some YouTube searches. I don't know if you guys were able to catch any of it. The only character I know of, because it's been so plastered when they tell the story of Jim Carrey, has always been, uh, was it Fire Marshal Bill? Yep. Who's like, yeah, always got it. he's a burn victim who's a fire marshal, and he just puts his <laughs> mouth into, he puts his lips into the top of his teeth and his eye. Like, it's so, <laughs> he's so distorted that it's impossible not to laugh when you see it. There's a hilarious skit that they did where he's packing to go to work and his wife's sitting there telling him all these stories about things that are happening and he's just creating one disaster out of the other in the in the kitchen. It turns out he's the driver of the Exxon Valdez. After <laughs> <laughs> so he's like clearing out and she's like, hey, did you forget your lunch? And he reaches in his bag and pulls out a bottle of Jim Beam and he goes... <laughs> Got it. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'll have to, I'll have to send it That's to you because that one's it's, it's hilarious. Dude, it's one of those things that like if you've never seen him perform, it's hard to describe what he's doing and make it funny. But if you've seen him do it, you immediately start dying laughing because it is so unique to him. Yep. Yeah. It astounds me that he didn't make SNL given how quickly he can get you laughing with just something zany like that. They usually take guys who could do impersonations as well. Mm -hmm. From some of the reading that I did, just kind of talking about his, especially in the 80s, was that being the tail end of like the Belushi era, era, and they didn't want to take away from him because their humor was probably similar-esque at that time. Mm. Interesting. See that? You know, Lauren Michaels, he wants on-script performers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think Jim Carrey probably came off as somebody who's going to go off-roading quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. But if you like Jim Carrey's early stuff, you can catch his, like, I guess his first big, like, comedy, one of his first big comedy specials on YouTube. It's called Unnatural Act, and you just get to see all of his impressions and see his, he's performing in Canada. So it's pretty cool. It's like 40, 50 minutes long. It's not terribly long. We're checking out. 92, he did a... He was in an Emmy-nominated movie called Doing Time on Maple Drive. And then the first the first of many big ones is his role as Ace Ventura Pet Detective. His first of four Razzie nominations. Yeah, in like a short period of time. This movie, it was a, such a staple of my childhood that in re-watching it, you're like, yeah, that's not funny to me now. But if I was 13 or 12, this shit would be killing me and I'd be fucking rolling and it is a one-man show. It is just Jim Carrey and then, like, this kind of weird plot. But it, it, without him, that movie doesn't exist. And with him, it makes, like, $80 million. I think that's really fair. That was never part of my childhood. Like, you know, you're aware of it. But, like, 
I didn't w- watch more than like a bits and pieces of it. I finally watched it like two years ago and it was just, I was like, meh, like I'm glad I saw it to know it, but like, I'm, you know, it doesn't hit with me, but yeah, it's like same thing. If you're 12 or 13, it's hilarious. It is. Right? It is just <laughs> a world-class physical comedian just ripping on people and our loose plot about missing dolphins. Yeah. The laces were in. They were in. When it happens, when Dan is like, hey, Ace, come over here. And he goes over there and he does a double take. He like looks and he looks back. He goes, oh, my uh, esteemed colleague, Mr. Marino here. <laughs> when he turns, when he turns him around, to be honest, I think earlier when I was like, when I was little, I didn't get the joke. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I just, no, yeah, not at all. Especially, I mean, there's so many jokes I didn't get in that movie for years. The worst case of hemorrhoids I have ever seen. <laughs> and then Tom Loke's eyes just go, <laughs> All I knew is that that woman was hot to like my 10 year old brain. It was years until I realized she gave him a blowjob. Years. Dude, like, I was like an adult when I was like, That's when he's swinging violently like this. I had no idea what was going on. I just thought it was funny. I was like, wow, she's really yeah. struggling to get his pants off. That's funny, I guess. And then, like, older, I was like, That's not what's happening. I, I, this movie has not aged well, but one of my favorite Jim Carrey lines is in this movie, actually, when he goes to Ray Finkel's house and he goes, Hi, I'm here to see Ray Finkel. Or uh, what does he say? It's hi, I'm looking for Ray Finkel. Aims a shotgun at him. That's so funny. I, I sorry, I, I messed that up, but that's the line. Yeah, every joke at the parents' house still lands hard because <laughs> yep. it's just that it's nonstop roasting, and then a random Dan Marino line that kills me, where it's Dan Marino should die of gonorrhea and rotten hell. Kills me every time. <laughs> I love when he's digging through like his boxes too, and he sees like all the like articles, and he goes, obsessed much? <laughs> <laughs> I understand why he got his Razzie Nam, just because like certain critics types, just like that character can get, it's pretty overwhelming, but I enjoyed the shit out of Ace Ventura. Yeah. So as far as I can remember, it was the first like human cartoon character I've seen. That's a really great way to put it. He was a rocket ship after this. Like even if yeah. yep. people said the movie sucked and it still made a ton of money and everyone's like, I just want to watch whatever he's going to do next. Yeah. And speaking of it, this movie was a lot better than the one he did next. The mask. I saw the mask in, in theaters. <laughs> oh, I love And I think I watched in the past year and I don't think I laughed once. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I did. I have a very different opinion. <laughs> Another Razzie Nam, just to throw it out there. He's he's on a streak now. Bro, but the, the you have to tell the story of The Mask. It was a cultural phenomenon, man. It was like this movie had a cartoon that went for three years after it came out. Like yeah. three seasons of this cartoon. This movie was everywhere. Isn't there a movie where the dog becomes the mask? Yeah. Jamie Kennedy's in one. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, the son the son of the mask. The son of the mask. Son of the mask. I will say that uh Cameron Diaz is unbelievable oh, in that movie. Yeah. She has never looked better yeah. than in the mask. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. I-, I think that was her f- first like real feature, wasn't it? I think and it she was, was kind of yeah. discovered she had no acting experience going into that yeah. one. And everyone was just like, Wow, she's hot. Yes, put her on more. <laughs> Ended up being funnier than people I- you know what? I hate on young actors who are just kind of famous for being attractive. Cameron Diaz, 
shocked me with how funny I think she is. This is Cameron Diaz's first ever role. Yeah, ever. Wow. first ever, first ever role. Just like we said, Edward Norton's first ever role in last week. James, to your point, The Mask was actually supposed to be more of a horror movie, but when they cast Jim Carrey, then they they did a one eighty and it became a comedy horror, whatever. Really? That's kind of a big change. <laughs> That's a, it, they made it like a kids movie. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah it was like we were going to do Dracula, but we turned it into Hotel Transylvania. Lighted up a little bit, and it gave us Cuban Pete. That's the first scene I thought of when uh, I thought I was like, no, nah, some scenes still make me laugh. The Cuban Pete thing made me laugh because it's so it's such an over the top commitment to a bit, and it's. It really, it, it's still funny. One of the things when I was looking over his kind of filmography is, I think this is one of those movies where I can't think of anybody else who could play this role. Doesn't exist. Correct. Right. Oh. And that, for me, like, that's one that like cements it is like something that I really love. I loved it as a kid. I love it now. I think it holds up pretty well. And I think it's a testament to like his range as a comedian, especially as a physical and a vocal comedian. To put the two films in perspective, Ace Ventura world grossed 107 million. The Mask world grossed 352 million. Mm, part of that million. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> I'm back at it. He just started acting. Can you imagine how committed you would be to your spiritual beliefs if you're like, I'm just going to visualize being rich and famous and it's like the next year you're fucking loaded rich. Well, it's funny too. It looks like they, they both were out in 94. So I'm sure he filmed these like close to each other. Yeah, yeah. Dumb and Dumber's '94 too. Yeah. Jeez, yep. man, what a year! <laughs> Is it in Lemon Color that kind of drove him to get these roles? It has to be. Has to be. It has to be right. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't once bitten. Mm-hmm. No. No. <laughs> <It> wasn't <laughs> Earth girls are easy. <laughs> Earth girls are easy. Who knows? All right, let's talk about Dumb and Dumber, a movie that you guys said might be the most quotable movie of all time. Another Razzie nom and a Golden Globe nom, which, so we got the, the weird combo there. The critics just suck when it comes to comedies, man. Like, everyone just turns their nose up at dumb comedies all the time. Yeah. So whenever I hear, like, oh, Razzie for this, like, the movie was funny. Shut up. I think Dumb and Dumber is, I mean, he's, he's obviously on his way to stardom, but I think Dumb and Dumber is what made him a household name. And it is truly, to this day, in my eyes, it's the most quotable movie ever. I mean, there was a time where I literally knew, like, every line. I probably don't know it now, but after seeing it hundreds of times as a kid, like, yeah, I definitely knew every line. It's great. Dumb and Dumber is firmly on my Mount Rushmore of comedies. It is one of my favorite comedies of all time. It is so quotable, and it's almost line for line. And if not, it's like a beat, and then the next line is hysterical. Every yeah. line is a joke. What I really like about this movie is that I think this is, I mean, Jim Carrey's kind of becoming like the funniest guy in Hollywood, but Jeff Daniels is with oh, him like every step so of the good. way. Jeff Daniels is absolutely hilarious in yes. this movie. So good. They play off each other so well. In research, like, I found out that the line where he gave the most annoying sound in the world was improvised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when he's walking out of the bar and he reads the framed newspaper, of landing on the moon. Man on the moon. <laughs> he landed on the moon. That was funny. No way. No way. I just don't know how you could keep it together, <laughs> Jeff Daniels and, and the mob guy, when he did the most annoying sound in the world. I just, I'd have lost it. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, God. Hey, Lloyd, there's some people that want to ride too. Pick them up. Pick them up. <laughs> I always figured she was just a raging alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) 
What are your thoughts on Batman Forever? He plays the Riddler, 95. I think this is the worst Batman movie. Worse than Batman and Robin? I would have to rewatch <laughs> Batman and Robin because I recently watched this. I have feelings like that. Yeah. But uh, I'd have to rewatch Batman and Robin to give you my honest opinion there. But this one's bad, man. Really bad. The cast and like the fact that Tommy Lee Jones, who was like at that point, like one of the top five actors in Hollywood, like the fact that he and Jim Carrey can both be villains in this and it could still suck. Like that just shows how bad the movie is. After the year that we know Carrey had, this is two years after The Fugitive hit, which is arguably one of Tommy Lee Jones' better performances. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine the hype for this one as a Batman movie? That's what I'm saying. Like, with those two guys in it, and it was awful. Like, and what, Nicole it, Kidman was like, Val Kilmer was up and coming too. That was so yeah. fucking bad. Yep. <laughs> it was seriously like the old Adam West. They took those and like, yeah, shit on them and then, you know, made them 30 years later. My favorite story that comes from this is that Tommy Lee Jones hates Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey doesn't know why. <laughs> he's like, he's like pretty much from the moment I was on set, this dude just would like audibly tell me he doesn't like me and like, and you know, leave me alone and stuff. And it made everyone very uncomfortable. The director of it is Joel Schumacher, who also did yeah. Batman and Robin and also did the number, and 23. number 23. Yep. Yep. He just passed away actually. Really? R.I.P. What day? <laughs> what time? <laughs> was it the 23rd? No, yeah. I don't know, actually. Now that I have to look uh, It's that about up. to be the 23rd. I've June, got his, I got his page 22nd. Very close. Oh, oh, almost 23. Dude, I can make those numbers work. <laughs> <laughs> Another role that Jim Carrey turned down, I mean, considering how big he was, he turned down the role of Buzz in Toy Story. That's no big deal. for the best. I think it worked out pretty well, but huge freaking role. Um, and he got divorced in 95 as well. So, uh, you know, life is a little bit crazy for him. He got that $10 million and gone. I <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope he signed a prenup. Say that. We'll, we'll talk about prenups uh, later. Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls comes out in 95. The sequel, I will say, I prefer When Nature Calls, but I, that's because I like wow. used to watch this obsessively. Like you guys watch. I never watched, really watched Dumb and Dumber growing up, but I watched this movie and know it like front to back. I can't get out of it. There's parts of it. I think this has more like this has more funny moments than Ace Ventura Pet Detective, but I think Pet Detective is just a it's a better, funnier movie than but I think this has more like laugh out loud moments for sure. When he punches out the Monopoly man and then struts around with him on his back. <laughs> it's nice, but I <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect you. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Yeah, this was just saying like what was the physical humor we didn't get out of the first Ace Ventura right. that we can get away with in this one? Let's have let's have a rhino shit him out, basically. Yeah, the, like, the shitting scene always made me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting pretty hot in these rhinos. <laughs> <laughs> pretty hot in these rhinos. I love the uh, bubblebee tuna. Your balls are showing. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to uh, announce my affection. <laughs> Kyle, you're in the majority of audience scores. Uh, Ace Ventura, the first one, 57%. Ace Ventura, number two, 72 substantially more like. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That's, uh, that's odd. It is what it is. But let's, let's talk about the cable guy, because that made Jim Carrey the first actor to make $20 million for a movie. And that's wild. Yes, it is. I found out from researching for this podcast that I'm firmly, I guess, on the wrong side of history here. I've always enjoyed, enjoyed Cable Guy. 
And when I looked up its reviews, like 50%, I was like, man, what's going on here? And then it's people like adamantly dislike this movie. And I was like, damn, I'm on the wrong side here, huh? Because I still think it's hysterical. You are definitely on the right side of this. For me, I think it's just Matthew Broderick. Yeah, he's a he's I just he's just a little wiener. I just don't like him. It's again a carry vehicle, one hundred percent. I couldn't tell I don't know if it's aged very well. Oh, I rewatched it. It's aged better than any of his other movies. Yes. It has. Yeah. At the end, it is kind of like an indictment on where we are at this exact moment. Mm-hmm. He literally predicts how technology is gonna <laughs> Dude, evolve with the wild. <laughs> Which is great because it's I mean it's Ben Stiller. Yes. Mm-hmm. There is a bit of an odd yeah. moment in this one in like the third act where it almost almost starts to move into a tone of like like thriller-y it's still yep, comedic 100 but like i think if they would have treaded a little more lightly there and just kept it well in the comedy corner i think it maybe would have helped personally i think that is what threw people off i think you're 100 right we, we'd seen him at this point in nothing but like slapstick humor and like blockbuster movies and in this one it's like a it's a dark comedy and yeah. that third act is essentially a stalker film when matthew broderick punches him and he he loses his lisp carrie actually fucked that up and it, he just started talking normal <laughs> so he improvised one of the funniest lines of the movie too <laughs> this is my go-to jim carrey movie what wow really? that's shocking and i love all the other ones too but just it might it just must have been the way that this one hit me when uh, when I first saw it, but this is my go-to. 96, the first time he hosted SNL, and he hosted it three times since then, in uh, 96, 2011, and 2014. So although he didn't join the cast, still got a chance to host a few times, and he got remarried like a year later after he was divorced. So a man was moving quick. And that gets us to Liar Liar. I assume this is Rigby's go-to as Fletcher, which he, won- he got a Golden Globe nod for this one. No Razzie tied in with it. I know James loves using gifts from this movie. Yes, he does. I think this is his best performance. It's not my favorite movie of his. Liar Liar is, I think, the movie doesn't exist without him, and it is so fucking good. I agree with that, yeah. It's not my favorite movie of his, but it is my favorite performance, hands down. He's so good at it. Everything that makes you, like, makes, makes him, like, a movie star, like, the he's charming in it, He's his slapstick comedy, his, like, physical humor is, like, off the charts... It just checks all the Jim Carrey boxes. I think it really, it really works. It's a great premise, good supporting cast. I'm a huge fan of this movie for sure. There really are so many parts in it. The, his his ability to be <laughs> honest with I'm people. I'm a psycho. No, just just the whole thing was like my real my teacher says the real beauty is what's on the inside. Well, that's just something <laughs> ugly people say. He like bites his hand after he says it. Just, just hilarious. That is an unbelievable line, and I, I <laughs> quoted it as my senior quote. Did you really? I swear on my life. <laughs> just, that's awesome. Hundred percent performance. I, I back you on that one. I mean, it must be really hard to play in a capacity where you're trying to withhold what you want to say and selling it to the audience, and it's just oh yeah. It's tough. He he crushes it. Yeah, and I think this is the first role that he has where he's he's endearing. He's very sweet. Yeah, yeah. Great point. That's what makes it lovable. Yeah, I love when uh <laughs> when after he beats himself up 
And they bring him into the courtroom and the judge is like, who did this? A madman, Your Honor. A desperate fool at the end of his pitiful rope. <laughs> Would you describe him? Oh, about 6'2", gangly, 170 pounds. <laughs> Big teeth, yeah. I love that. The, just the, I'm kicking my ass. My ass. So fucking good. I hold myself in contempt. <laughs> and what a good movie. He's yelling. He's like, oh, come on. They're listening to the sex tape. It's like literally a sex tape. He's like, oh, come on. He's like, what do you want me to do? He's like, because it's detrimental to my case. Because <laughs> it's extremely detrimental. That's the best line in the movie, 100%. Yeah. So a movie we talked about last episode on the Lori Lenny episode for her cr- Technically, this is his highest credit score, too, but we can't cover it back-to-back in that category. Mm -hmm. So, The Truman Show, he won a Golden Globe, so his first big award win. A movie where uh, Peter Weir liked him as Ace Ventura, and that's why he hired him uh, for this particular role in The Truman Show, which is interesting when you think about it. Not even remotely close, those roles. No. Not even remotely He saw something. He saw something. Great performance Mm -hmm. from him. Phenomenal movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Really fantastic. This is my favorite Jim Carrey movie. Uh, we just talked about my favorite performance, but this is definitely my favorite movie of his. 90s are so great. Good movie, man. It's such a feel-good movie. And, oh. You know, uh, Ed, Har- Ed Harris was such a, such a banger in it and very creative. Uh, there are times when I, and I think about it and I'm like, oh, my life's not fucking, <laughs> there's nothing important about my fucking life that's happening that this would actually happen to me. And, and again, uh, very ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's exactly yep. what's happening now. So the last 20 minutes of our discussion is spanning only four years. I think it's the best run I have seen since we've done this podcast. It is for sure. What is that? Four years and like seven bangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not over. We're going to continue down this path here. Maybe a, a small step away for Simon Birch as adult Joe. Small role in 98. That's not a funny joke. Choose a different word for a small role in Simon Birch. <laughs> well, I didn't plan that. Minimal, maybe. Modest. And then 99, he plays Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. A movie, I understand he had to actually audition for it. At this point in his career, he got to the point where he wasn't, he didn't have to audition for things, but he went out of his way to audition for this because he connects so much to Andy Kaufman's comedy. You can tell he he embraces himself in this role, takes it and runs with it. Um, it's a really, it's a sad movie. Yeah. One of his best dramatic performances, if not his best, I would say. And there, it is, it is a, it's about a comedian, but it's about Andy Kaufman, who is a disturbed comedian. So there's, there's some moments of comedy in it, but at, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a drama and it's a character study. Great performance by him. I didn't see the movie, Warren, but I've seen the documentary about it that's on Netflix that chronicles him going full method in the role. And that's very interesting. I did watch parts of it and I just, I don't know. I probably had to watch some other dumb fucking movie for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the number 23. I, I've watched that documentary twice. I agree with you, Kyle. I'd imagine this was a very personal role because of his oh, good. comedic upbringing, right? Of, of wanting to be a comic. And, and I'm sure he related quite a bit to Andy Kaufman, whose career was also fascinating. That's 100% true. He's, he's almost said that as much. And I would say this role probably leads to a lot of his, like it probably leads to Eternal Sunshine, you know, a couple of years later, just like his dark, dark performance that kind of comes with it about like a kind of a mentally disturbed 
person who can find some some joy in things. I think this probably set it up for that. Yeah, yeah. He drove the director fucking crazy on set. <laughs> Milos like Milos, who won Oscar-winning filmmaker. Yeah, just like drove the guy fucking up a wall. That's it. Um, and also got a Sagnom and a Golden Globe win for his for his role in the movie too. So. But let's be honest. If you know anything about Andy Kaufman, shouldn't you expect somebody that's going to play that role well to be screwed up and kind of disruptive on the set, like Andy Kaufman would have been? Andy Kaufman's family would come to set every few months and like. Jim Carrey still didn't break character, and he said it was like an emotional experience for them. Yeah. They're like, oh, we feel like we get to talk for a moment with our son or our brother who isn't with us anymore. And it is, method acting is bizarre. It is 100% a bizarre thing to watch, but I've watched that documentary twice now because it is fascinating to watch because everyone hates him. Like, even the people who love him hate him. Especially when he becomes Tony Clifton. Yeah. When he becomes Clifton, it takes it to a whole nother level, too. Yeah. I imagine as a director, when you have a comedic talent, especially one who's an improviser like Carrie, you just got to give him his space. And if you're not going to do that, you're not going to work well together. Yeah. Millennium hits me, myself, and Irene. He plays Charlie and Hank, a movie where he got engaged to Renee Zellweger. And I don't think that lasted very long. But it was only a good my, year. I think they met on set. Yeah, it didn't last very long. This is my go-to Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm not surprised by that, Warren. Oh my gosh, this movie is so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> and there anytime he does, he becomes Hank in this movie, his alter ego. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is absolutely classic Jim Carrey. And it's it's pretty graphic. Like it's definitely you yeah. know, we talked about liar liar and cable guy and mm-hmm. dumb and dumber. Like this yeah. is like this is gross out humor for sure. Yeah. His favorite line in the movie is when the kids are like my daddy is a very gentle person. And then it goes to the next scene. He's like, motherfucker, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Motherfucker, motherfucker. My favorite part is Zellweger's driving and he's asleep next to her in the car. And she looks back and she's driving. She's smiling and she looks back again and his leg is up and his dick is just growing. down. His <laughs> and she looks up and he's got a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> like five seconds later and he offers it to her. <laughs> it's just so, so good. You going to pick up that butt or am I going to have to shove it up your fat pimply a-hole? I'm going to strap it to my boot and shove it up your big fat pimply a-hole. <laughs> We're going to push in a count of nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Which was ad-libbed, I learned. That was so good. I was I was waiting for our uh, routine Renee Zellweger line you guys always use. Who the fuck is Renee Zellweger? <laughs> Golden Globe nom for The Grinch and The Grinch Stole Christmas. I know that some people love and some people hate him as The Grinch. Where do you guys sit? I think it's funny. Love. I think it's fine. I think it's I was, great. Yeah, I, I was not a hater. I wasn't a lover. There are so many ways that you this could have gone south quickly from cartoon to feature i remember as a kid thinking this is gonna suck i think first you have to credit ron howard i think he probably carries most of it here but i think this does not become like a timeless christmas movie which i think you can probably make the case that it is at this point without jim carrey it's one of those roles that you lose yourself in the grinch and he's barely recognizable I don't know, man. Like, I just—it's Dumb and Dumber is my go-to, but this one's a close second because I—I I just think it's—I think it's aged well and uh, yeah. could have been screwed up 
way easily. I love how dark he makes the Grinch, where it's it's not a guy who's like mad at everyone, so he's going to steal Christmas. It's a guy who's like truly dealing with depression. <laughs> like it is, it is dark in there. <laughs> His ability to do those voices, though, was an absolute like he needed it to just add to that comic and that that cartoonish feel, where it wasn't just Ron Howard doing a. <laughs> basically a voiceover telling exposition all the time. One after another, just banger after banger. What are your thoughts on The Majestic? I know Rigby likes the movie. I, I haven't seen it in years. Never saw it. Definitely a serious role. It's not a comedy. Yeah, Frank Darabont movie, which he did after he had done Shawshank and The Green Mile, and then he did The Majestic. So pretty good pretty good run of films from Frank Darabont. And yeah, it shows it shows Jim Carrey's talent to be to be cast in a movie like this yeah it's it's really good i like it i remember his, his character is am- amnesia right yep he come back from war and has amnesia comes back from war is? and amnesia and his character is is thought to be this this like local hero who disappeared in the town like years ago that's right and he like adapts to the to the to his newfound basically attention yeah it's really good it's an awesome he's seymour skinner <laughs> <laughs> And then a couple years later, we got Bruce Almighty, which you get that famous gif of him typing that you see people post all the time. That's from Bruce Almighty. Uh, That scene where he's fucking (laughs) with Steve Carell while he's trying to present. And he's like, Bruce Almighty is so entertaining. It's again, just it's just classic Jim Carrey, like family kind of wholesome, wholesome movie. But he just crushes it, man. Mm -hmm. Nobody else. Nobody else could do what he did in this movie. I love the line where he's, he gets down on his knees and he says, smite me, almighty smiter. And he immediately gets hit by a truck. Yeah. It's so good, dude. I love how he gets naked for, when they're about to have sex. He just throws his arms back and his clothes rip off of him. It's so fucking funny. I won the lottery, but so did like 45,000 other people. So it was only like 20 bucks. <laughs> well, let's... Give the floor to Ron Maker to talk about highest critic score, which is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a role that got him BAFTA and Gold Globe. Now. This one is is definitely interesting and, and well-written film. I think when I look at some of Carrie's stuff, I think one of the things that jumps off the page the most to me is how relatable and kind of lovable he is as, as Joel, the lead character. Probably since uh, Liar Liar, I would say, as Fletcher. I'm sure everyone's seen it, but if anyone hasn't, the 30-second synopsis, you basically got Joel, played by Jim Carrey here, goes through a rough breakup, finds out that there's this new scientific treatment that his girlfriend has been able to erase him from his mind, and completely depressed, he goes through it himself, only to go through and find about halfway through that he doesn't want to do it anymore, and that he misses some of those memories and you know, still, still loves her. And so for this one, I think the biggest thing is for me as it relates to Carrie is how sympathetic he is as a character and how relatable and real he is. I think it's a real testament to him where you can do something wacky and zany, like a Grinch, like a liar, liar, uh, me, myself, Irene, etc. And then also come through and and be lovable and, and relatable and have people kind of sympathize with you. Kate Winslet does an amazing job here. I believe she won the Oscar for her performance as a supporting actor here. So, like, you've got a, a really good leads here. 
personally, it's not really my taste, but I think the thing that sticks out the most is it's it's so emotive and it's so relatable. And I think it's it's very well, exceptionally well written. And and so maybe maybe Winslet didn't win the Oscar. Maybe she was just nominated. But I think they they won for screenplay or something as well here. Yeah, it's it's just a really well told film. At least for me, it kind of speaks to you know. You can't really achieve perfection on a macro scale, but you can achieve it in these moments. And I think that's what we see in this film is, you know, you see Joel and Clementine, uh, Kate Winslet, kind of recounting some of these memories that are just hold a special place in their hearts. And, you know, we've all kind of been there, right, where we wish we could go back to certain times or, you know, we wish we could have done something a little differently. And, yes, yeah, so it's it's really well-told story. I think you get two just home run, knock them out of the park performances here. You got to kind of hang in there a little bit with the plot. It gets a little out there, but it ties up all the loose ends nicely. Yeah. She did get nominated, but she didn't win. And they did win screenplay. So you're spot yeah, I think one thing with the plot where it's, you know, going through and it's erasing his memories and it's getting back. Of course, the memories at the beginning are good. Like, that's why relationships start. And so it's just kind of a, well... Well, no shit. Like if I could go back, if I could go back to like yeah. the beginning of my past relationships, I'd never meet my. I would never have met my my wife. I'd be stuck in some hellhole, being miserable all the time. But yeah, I, I get like there. It, it does tie it up where you know the ending and all that stuff. You know, hey, let's try it again. I mean, it, sh- it shows his dramatic range, at least. I mean, it's one of his better ones where you see some of that. I wouldn't put this in his top 10 performances, but he certainly doesn't pull you out of it, and he certainly furthers the story in his character, I guess this would be kind of my summary of it. He's definitely replaceable, but it's good to see him do something different. Mm-hmm. Right. Old Jimmy becomes a U.S. citizen in 04. <laughs> So, <laughs> 04. <laughs> Born in 04. Sounds about to go down. Somebody to go down, born in 04. Yeah, his U.S. citizenship was born in 04. And he was Count Olaf in a series of unfortunate events. A movie I watched for the first time for this podcast. Yeah, he's fun in it. Like, he plays a, a, a shitty actor who is trying to deceive the law to basically take custody of the kids so he can steal the family fortune. And so he just keeps taking on all these new characters and pretending to be all these different people to trick folks. And it's it's just a fun use of his skill set, his toolkit. Yeah, it's in his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Completely in his wheelhouse. There's a lot of parallel between his character here and in the number 23. You just, uh, you see a lot of similarities between those. Awesome. <laughs> well, before we get to number 23, there's one other one, another big one, Fun with Dick and Jane in 05. When I rewatched this movie, this movie was way better than I remembered it. I didn't rewatch it, but now, because I remember not liking it. So now, <laughs> fuck, I fucked up. I got to go back. I didn't love it when it came out, but I thought the two of them had great chemistry. Yeah. He wasn't overacting, but he wasn't underacting. I thought he was part of the story a little bit better than he is in some of his movies. I, this isn't my favorite Jim Carrey movie, but... From what I remember this movie, the first time I saw it for the rewatch for this episode, I thought this movie was significantly better. Two things, aren't they? I think this is a remake, I want to say, of a movie from the 60s. And aren't they like bank aren't they bank robbers in it? Is that what they're doing? They become bank robbers yeah. in this because the company that he is tied up to, all the money they they get, they get under all this investigation and so all his money and all the pension and everything is wrapped up with it. Got it. So everybody in the surrounding area in the town just has like no money. I just want to say if we if we wait six minutes for Warren's review, it'll be at twenty three twenty three. Gross, dude. 
11, 25. I might still be talking about it at the end. <laughs> uh, largest audience gap, number 23, Warren has it. Making his return, and when he said he was going to return, he was like, I'll cover something weird, like the number 23. And I was like, well, guess what I'm supposed to do <laughs> the number 23. So you're in luck, my Welcome friend. Back. It was meant to be. It was. So this movie was directed by that guy, Joel Schumacher. It is, like, uh, you might as well just call the movie, like, coincidence. <laughs> The whole thing with the movie is just this guy sees the number 23 everywhere. And he's like created this whole thing where these dates and this times and these names, like if you were to give the letter A is one, B is two, and you go through the whole alphabet and you add up the total for someone's name, you divide it by the numbers, the letters in the name, you get 23 for like a few people. And the whole thing is. Like, no shit. Everything is made up of the numbers two and three. It's the two smallest, like, factors in any number. Like, two and three, and then you add two and three together, and you get five. So you see a five, and you're like, oh, that's a five. That's two and three. It's just, it's so fucking dumb. And he he plays the role of a dog catcher, which is really stupid. And, you know, his wife and his kid... And it's just like a normal family thing. And then he finds this book and he's reading it and he's playing the character in the book while he's reading it. His wife is playing the female character in the book. And it basically comes around that he's killed somebody in the past because he's gone ape shit over the number 23 and how it controls his life. And his dad killed his mom and his himself because of the number if you're looking for something, you're going to see it everywhere. That's just common sense. And the acting is poor. He, he's not convincing seriously. He's not convincing. There's no like humor in it. Yeah. Just, just avoid it. I remember being intrigued by the premise and then the movie just loses you like just 40 minutes. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. They, there was even a part of the movie when he was talking to a doctor and he was explaining his fascination and he was like, well, my name is, his name was Paul Sparrow. He was like, well, if I do that, that doesn't work. But if I do Paul W. Sparrow, then I add those numbers up. And then he gets 23. It's like, yeah, you pick and choose your fucking battles. You're going to get exactly <laughs> what you want. It's like they, they admit it 20 minutes into the movie. And then he still goes on to do it. So you have no sympathy for him being an absolute nut job. And I just, ah, uh, it's done. It's like a... It's built for like QAnon stoners. Yeah, like, it's right like, up their fucking alley. Yeah, it's it it's like literal porn. It's Shutter Island. That's good. But if it makes this you feel sucks. any better, it was that writer's first and last uh, screenplay. <laughs> there you go. Not shocked. <laughs> Tops was the t- screenwriter Topsy Secrets. That's the name of the book. It, the, Jim Carrey writes a book in the movie. <laughs> And he doesn't use his name, and it, he's got a he's got a pen name for it, and its name is Topsy Kretz. He was like, "Who is Topsy Kretz?" <laughs> oh, good grief! That is top. It's top secrets. <laughs> yes. Warren, was there a scene in the movie where Jim Carrey comes out and he goes, "I grab a dog, I choke him, I kick the shit out of him <laughs> all day." My pleasure. I love it. Pretty much. <laughs> Anytime we can have a Friday reference on this podcast, I'm all for it. Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> that was good. It's got an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, rightfully so. What was the audience number? Audience was 56. 56% yeah. for audience. Stoners. 
bunch of fucking stoners. 2008, Horton Hears a Who, played Horton. Good movie. Yeah, it is. It's a good good little flick. Some... Was this a Seuss? Yeah, the Dr. Seuss? Yeah. A little voice acting. Classic Vlad. We used to watch that movie in college. It's a good movie, man. We had a stretch. We would watch that movie on like Thursday nights in college. I would come back from the bars and everybody <laughs> else would still be doing homework in the house. <laughs> and we would watch Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> and then Yes Man, the tribute to James's Twitter avatar, finally making its appearance on the podcast. I think at a certain point I realized that I've been tweeting some very authentic thoughts uh, from the ex- invention of Twitter until me being in the professional setting and I've been using my name that entire time. And so I was like, all right, well, I should change this. And I just, this movie had just came out. There's a scene in it where his, his like coworker who's played by that fucking dude from New Zealand who was in Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Reese, whatever. From Jumanji. And they're like making funny faces at each other. And then all of a sudden he just tapes his entire face so aggressively. And the other guy's like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. That's a problem. Like, stop. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're making it difficult for me at work. Too much yeah, yes. Too much yes. Too much yes. But yeah, I thought Yes Man was, it's funny. It, it's got funny scenes. It's more of a mm-hmm. rom-com that happens to be funny than like a flat-out comedy. But mm-hmm. that scene killed me at that time. And I just had, that has been my profile picture ever since. I feel like it's... It's another movie where he gets a beach from somebody and it's a bunch of <laughs> upper body acting. It's like, you know, he's dumb but likable and he's nice. And I, I feel very relatable to that, you know? Uh-huh. How about 2009's I Love You, Philip Morris, where he plays Steven, a gay con artist who continues to just do all the crimes. I saw this movie, and there were a couple funny parts to it, and there's one that I, I should send it out if nobody had already, but it's him playing golf. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's him playing golf, and he's with like these guys, and he's in a sand, he's in a sand trap. <laughs> he's stuck in the sand trap, and every single time he hits it, you just all you see is his club fly. Sand goes up, and he's like, "Fuck my ass!" He's <laughs> like yelling the most like absurd things that you would not expect from him. It's it's funny. <laughs> yeah, he plays a gay couple with Ewan McGregor. It's a decent little flick. Yeah, it's it's got some good stuff in it. Some prison scenes. It's good. Yeah, it's not bad. 2009 is also when Jim was dating Jenny McCarthy and went to, got himself involved in some anti-vax things. Went to some anti-vax protests. <laughs> Jenny McCarthy. Uh, with Jenny did McCarthy, I, did, the autism. Did I just, you know. did I just fart? <laughs> I remember when that was happening because... Who's Ty Cobb? Because that was like at the height of the anti-vax being tied to autism thing. And I was like, God damn it, dude. Like, you're definitely on the wrong side here. <laughs> Ricky's fucking dying over here. No, it's... it's- <laughs> Oh, it's the whole, it's the basketball thing. With Jenny McCarthy in it. Who's, who's, who's like Tom? Oh, oh. Did I just fart? Not <laughs> <laughs> having you guys around. Oh. oh, man. But he plays Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, a Robert Zemeckis film. And he has like four different accents going on that one. And it's a really interesting animated project. In 09... This will be pertinent for us and for you in your list here in a little bit. The Guardian named him one of the best actors without an Oscar in 09. So I think they recognize that he should have got something. 
to make that kind of impact. Bold statement. Not even an Oscar nomination at this point, right? Nothing in his career. Do we agree or disagree with The Guardian at this point? I don't know about... Like, he's not in a bunch of movies that would get him Oscar noms. Jim Carrey is the only actor to win a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Drama and not be nominated at all for Academy Award. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Was that Man on the Moon? No, that was for Truman Show. And he didn't get nominated. And that was the year that Roberto Benigni won for Life is Beautiful. Hmm. Interesting. Good fact, James. The only act- actor or actress ever. Well, I saw that he was the only actor to win Golden Globes in both drama and comedy and musical and without an Oscar nom. So even farther than that. So it's both of those categories. To do both. I think comedians and comedic actors, they're reviewed and criticized very unfairly. Absolutely. Sorry. Yep. A lot of times, very, very talented mm-hmm. actors as well, or actresses. Because I'm not doing the drama. When I watched Liar Liar, I thought that like midway through, I was like, he should have won awards for this. Like The performance is flawless. I agree. Some quick stuff over the next couple of years. He plays Ronald Reagan in a short called Presidential Reunion with Maya Rudolph, which is interesting considering the other president he plays here several years later. He makes a very short appearance in an op episode of The Office as the Finger Lakes guy, which is really funny if you check it out on YouTube. It's a really quick, but it's a fun little impression he does. An episode of 30 Rock, and then he gets into the incredible Burt Wonderstone as Steve Gray. I saw it, and it wasn't that great. Ben Stiller? No, it's uh, Steve Buscemi and... It's Steve... Who's the other guy? Oh, Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Yeah. Steve oh, Carell. Okay. Yeah, it's ma- the magician stuff. Is he making fun of like Chris Angel? Yes, he is. He is Chris Angel through and through. Ah, that's what I thought. He's the mind freak. Oh shit, that's got to be good. Then how's that bad? It's just <laughs> not that good. <laughs> it's probably okay if you took away all of like Carrie's amazing comedies and comparatively, it's probably just like super substandard. Yeah, that's. I guess that's really what it comes down to. It's it's along it's more along the lines of like dinner for schmucks than it is other stuff. I've got my go to. Chris Angel's from Long Island. They just wanted to drop that fact. We're proud of him. We're proud of Chris Angel. He's Congratulations. The mind freak from Hempstead. <laughs> <laughs> All Long Islanders know each other. All right. Oh, is that it? It's yeah. a tiny little island, right? Just yeah, a couple miles. Guy. Get him on the pod. Yeah, yeah I'll text them. I'll see what he's up to. 2013, he got a children's book award for writing How Roland Rolls, which is fascinating. I know Craig loves when the actors recover authors. It's impressive, man. Oh, there's a lot of murder in Kick-Ass 2, Colonel, where he plays Colonel Stars and Stripes alongside Chloe Grace Moretz. That was, that was fun. Yeah. I don't recall this movie. Was it a good sequel? The first one blows it away. I know Hickman hated it for a long time. Do you still hate it, Kyle? Still might. I love it. No, I love it now. We talked about it in Chloe Grace. Oh, that's right. We talked about it. I just wasn't expecting. I just, yeah, I wasn't ready for it the first time. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, the second one, it's just, I don't know, it just kind of picks it up too much. And it definitely takes it where it should. They don't try and redo it. And they really, I mean, they make it, not that it, the first one didn't kind of jump the shark, but this one definitely did. When I was doing research for the show, this was on the list as underrated performances by him. It's like the movie's not great, but he's pretty good. Yeah. No issues there. He goes back to the Canadian roots in Anchorman 2 as Canadian anchor Scott Riles in that one scene with the, the, all the, the anchor throwdown. Yeah, the fight. That was a, a pleasure, pleasurable cameo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was him and what's, who's, who's the lady uh, who popped? Not Rachel Wise. It's, um, it's the Marianne Cotillard. Yeah. yeah. 
little little ode to his Canadian background there alongside Marsden and Applegate. And then, Case, I know you have a story about Stephen Hawking. In 2013, he appears in a documentary about Stephen Hawking. And he tells a story how when he was on the Conan O'Brien show promoting Dumb and Dumber, I believe, in 2003, he thought it'd be hilarious to get Stephen Hawking to participate in a skit with him. Pretty funny skit, but the two of them became friends for the rest of Stephen Hawking's life. And very funny to hear that, especially after hearing that Jim Carrey also became friends with Tupac Shakur. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey might be the only person in the history of the earth who is close friends with Stephen Hawking and <laughs> Tupac. <laughs> Quite the networking. Some of the anecdotes I've heard of him, it's like he became really close friends with uh, Anthony Hopkins because they learned about each other that they were mimicking the the movements of animals in certain roles. It's like, oh, you mimic animals in your role? He's like, yeah. And uh, Silence of the Lambs, I was, uh, I think he said he was like trying to mimic a reptile. And he's like, in Ace Ventura, I was mimicking a bird. And they bonded over their weird acting techniques. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. He's like, oh, this guy's on my level with that weird stuff. I'm in. Dumb and Dumber 2, 2014. I didn't watch it because Dumb and Dumber 1 is my go-to Jim Carrey movie. You don't want to spoil it? Nope. It's just as big as the first movie. Yeah. They're they're the characters. And there there are a few parts where I was laughing really hard. Yeah, this was a lose-lose, right? If they didn't make it, people would have been pissed that they never made a sequel when they had the opportunity. And then when they did make it, no one was going to like the sequel because it didn't measure up to the first one. Yeah, very, very similar. It was very surprising how much work that they put into getting their facial appearances, everything the same. It's just mm-hmm. good call. Very, very different. Well, sad moment for his personal life in 2015. His girlfriend, Katharina White, died from suicide, which that's rough. Yeah. Isn't this kind of in the era where he's he's having a lot of mental health issues, too? Yeah, I think so. He's, he's not working a ton right now. I know Jenny McCarthy cited, you know, that there was some issues with, you know, between the two of them. And I, I feel like him, be, you know, a lot of people are just talking like he's going crazy and this and that. And he was really kind of getting hammered for his mental health at the time. When in hindsight, you know, obviously the guy was struggling. So I wonder where this fits in with that. He's been pretty open about being depressed um, or dealing with depression throughout his career. But at this point, he was open about it as well. And it's so weird because when you look it up, it even tells, like, I guess he was open with what he was prescribed. So, like, even the names of the drugs he was prescribed are, like, blatantly right there. It's like, how is that a fucking news story? That's strange. But, yeah, he was dealing with depression. And it sounds like he met someone else who was dealing with depression at that time. And that is just a tough spot to find yourself in when someone does something like that. Um, And then finally, last role before Lois Critic, Bad Batch, the one that Craig mentioned earlier that lost a lot lot of money. It's his only role where he's completely mute. So that's something that interests you. It's on Netflix. Check it out. But let's get into Lois Critic. It is the aforementioned Dark Crimes and Rigby, and maybe as a darker soul. (laughs) The the last probably 20 episodes or so, I'd usually kind of write out a summary and just kind of read off of that. This movie is so bad that it, it didn't even warrant the effort of putting that together. Ooh, <laughs> that a boy. That's rough. So this is bad. <laughs> the only saving grace is that Jim Carrey is not the worst part there of it. There you go. I think the, boy, Jim. the movie, so the movie is about Jim Carrey plays a Polish detective who, with a Polish accent, by the way. Man, fucking accents. <laughs> yeah, who 
is a detective who is after a cold case who finds the author of this book that mirrors a lot of the details of the cold case that he's investigating. So he's like dead set on arresting this guy for for the crime. That's kind of where the movie lost me because that's really the extent of what I could understand what was going on in this. Uh, it's a there's a lot of weird like sex orgy scenes that sort of try to mimic i think like like solo type serbian film type like dark movie setting that like eight millimeter yeah just didn't but this is this this is much more it is charlotte gainsburg who was in like the nymphomaniacs with lars on trier so like she has no problem getting naked and fucking random dudes so the two things i hate the two things that i didn't like the most about this movie is one the pacing of it is so bizarre like it's it's like you don't really know where it's going, and that leads to not really knowing what the movie's about. I texted Kyle yesterday. I'm like, I, I said I was like 45 minutes in, and I still didn't really know what the plot of it was. I'll be honest. I didn't finish it. I turned it off. I was like, I just can't do it anymore. I got about s- probably an hour through, and I was just like, I've, I'm, I'm, wasting, I'm wasting an NFL Sunday watching this bullshit, so I can't do it anymore. <laughs> DNF, man. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I know that I, I tried my best to get through even the stinkers. I made it through Speed 2 somehow, <laughs> but this one I couldn't do. And I, I, there's a review from Rex Reed, who is a pretty controversial film critic, but he reviewed the movie in 2018, which I don't really know why the movie was made in 2016, but wasn't released in 2018, probably because it was so bad that they couldn't find a distributor for it. But the headline is, all I'll read, is Dark Crimes Backfires Like a Meal of Refried Beans. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty accurate. It's that's accurate. pretty good. It's got 37 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. That's awesome. Big fat stinking zero. Zero, baby. I didn't really buy Jim Carrey just obviously because he is a world-renowned movie superstar who is playing a gruffled Polish, Polish. guy with a beard and an accent. It was very bizarre. But like I said, he is of the... If I could name like the five problems with this movie, like Jim Carrey's probably not even in the top five. It's definitely like the pace and the plot of the movie that just lost me. I was not interested in it. Rigby, putting on your director's hat, would this movie have been better if Jim Carrey would have used the voice he used for Hank in Me, Myself, and Irene? Absolutely. Because <laughs> it would have been it would have been like Warren. I probably would have laughed watching it and then I'd watch <laughs> Me, Myself, and Irene after and I wouldn't feel as I wouldn't feel as bad about it. Dark. It's a depressing movie to watch. Like the it, everything's dark. It's I mean at least they committed to the name of the fucking movie in Dark Crimes. The first thirty seconds is a girl who's tied to the, like the ceiling, like swinging around like naked. It's like um, and then it shows like it shows like girls with like ball gags in their mouth, like walking. That's the other thing is it's like so. Oh yeah, it's straight into like a sex party. That's like the first scene of the movie. Very sexist. I mean, it's very like family. Oh, is this, I was gonna say family friendly. No, it's it's very uh, graphic. We don't get a lot of zeros on this podcast, and I think there's a good reason for that because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of bad movies out there that are this one. Yeah, Warren can attest. A lot of times you'll see like zero percent, but it'll be like five critic reviews. This one had thirty plus and had zero percent, so it's well earned. And it made twenty one thousand. You said, Craig? Yes, this one made twenty one grand. Twenty one grand. A lot more than it sounds like it should have made. Not surprising at all. Let's round this thing out. So, the his latest show is called Kidding. I think it's on Showtime. Been run, it ran from 2018, 2020. Got him a Golden Globe nom. Seemed pretty dark. I think I'm five or six episodes in. You know, it's basically this 
kid, call him like a uh, Mr. Rogers type character who is suffering from mm-hmm. losing one of his twin sons in a car accident that really wasn't anybody's fault. It is interesting. When, I didn't know that he was that he had suffered from depression earlier, but I imagine this is some way of processing or at least drawing on his experiences from this. Yeah, it, it's super dark. There's at least one point in each of those couple episodes that I have seen where it's just like, you know, kind of hits you in the face. So yeah. the point where I'm at, it seems like it's building to something. And there's a point where it's like, okay, they're going to move in a direction where this is meaningful. And it's not just dark for the sake of being dark and shocking. This might be the most Jim Carrey role we've seen because he's playing this Mr. Rogers-like character, like you said, who always has to be on. He always has to be that nice guy. He's always got to be that fun guy. He's always, but yet he's dealing with some very serious stuff that is eating away at his soul. And then when he gets away from being Mr. Pickles, then you see this just dark, tormented character. And I can't help but think to myself, like, this has got to be a cathartic role for Jim Carrey to play because he's finally able to express this, like, it sucks that I have to be on 24-7. If I'm at the supermarket and I'm not Lloyd Christmas, then everybody's going to blog about how big of an asshole I am. Mm. That's got to take a toll on a person, and I think this role is a, is a way of, of addressing that. Yeah. Is he a producer on the show? I believe so. Yeah, I would say it's definitely worth at least watching a couple episodes to get a feel for it. I, I will continue with it. I watched it every Sunday. High praise there. Sonic the Hedgehog. I know we talked about this on the Marsden episode. I rewatched it. Just as fun as the first time I saw it. And I, I think Jim Carrey was a great casting for Robotnik. I know Warren had, had some thoughts on it too. I would say he's definitely a good cast for it. Just because Dr. Robotnik never had character in the game. It was just this chode of a dude that floated above you and that's all you really knew about it right and so he gives him some character and some personality and i think it's animated enough to really plays off a an animated character it'd be really weird if he was this evil (laughs) villain henchman from like like a marvel movie but he's light he's quick he's basically like grew but in real life where he just makes a bunch of machines and he's Hinge, not you know world domination people were ready to hate this movie when it came out they they wanted to pounce on it so bad it, it definitely had some cool parts to it like i thought it was cool how they talked about like the significance of the rings and what his world looked like and all that stuff like that was i had no idea how you're gonna make a sonic the hedgehog movie <laughs> yeah. the game storyline was like get the rings <laughs> <It's> like, yeah <laughs> keep your rings Get and keep them and get through the fucking Yeah. Thing. The movie worked enough. They're having a sequel. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm pumped for the sequel. And then finally, most recently, his run in 2020 on SNL, where he played Joe Biden for a bit in the uh, the election oh, season. That's right. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, he was great at it, too. Kind of looked like Fire Marshal Bill in that. Yep. A little bit. Heavy makeup. <laughs> on heavy, heavy makeup. Just having that upper load. Take us to the Gold Derby or whatever you got, Rigby, for top performances. I got a little more reputable source this time. I got one from The Guardian. Ooh. Summer Ooh. of 2020. It's actually 20 performances, but I think we can do 10. I would be furious if we did 20. It's way too many to guess. I think you could definitely fit fill 20 with him. but let's- For sure, yeah. So let's do the top 10. And this is numerically ranked. Movies only? Yes, films only. There is one. I'll give, a, give you a hint. There's a document, which you should know which one that is. But Well, number one, my guess is going to be Truman Show. That's number three. Thank you. Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. That is number two. Ooh. 
Liar, liar. Liar, liar, number one. There you go, boys. This list is amazing. That's why That's why I chose it, because this is my. <laughs> that's my favorite performance, so I'm, I'm in full agreement. I fully agree with you. So the Andy Kaufman documentary is probably in the top ten, then? Yep. Yeah, that's number nine. Yeah, he's that's well worth the watch. I mean, D- Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber is number six. Do they combine the Ace Venturas together? Uh, no, they're separate. Oh, okay. Both those. <laughs> The mask. The mask is not on here. Oh, what? Not in the top ten. At least. This is mask erasure. The cable guy. Cable guy's number four. Mm. I don't agree okay. with that, but that's just. Yeah, I don't either. It should have been one. <laughs> Craig, you and I are in the minority there, man. Everything I was reading online is we're wrong. The majestic. No, that's not in the top ten. Me, myself, Irene. The Grinch. All three of those are not in the top ten that you guys just named. <laughs> what about Man on the Moon? That's number ten. Okay. Nice job. Is Ace Ventura in there? Yeah. In the top 10? Yep. What number? That's number eight. Pet Detective is number eight. What about When Nature Calls? That's number five. Okay. Oh. So we're missing one, just one of the top 10, and it's number eight. Ooh. Uh, series of Unfortunate Events. Nope. Fun with Dick and Jane. Nope. Ooh. Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Yeah. Nice job. John there we go. Them. For all of that list faults, it wins my heart with uh, Liar Liar's number I agree. I love it. Let's go. Yeah, it's a good list. Multimeter time. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100. Based on a variety of factors, it could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, other talents they might have, personal life, comedic shops, box office success, or lack thereof. Anything else that matters to us. Case. You know, as I sat here and I started getting ready for my Munsonmeter, I mean, I could do a 30-minute deposition on what I think about Jim Carrey, but I I boiled it down to five points. I think it's remarkable how quickly he became a leading man in Hollywood and never looked back. His run in the mid-90s is unmatched from anybody that I can think of. His personal life is a bit convoluted, but I don't tend to take that into much account when I'm scoring people. That being said, I, I do have a soft spot for him. As he's been very vocal and outright about his struggles with mental health, and that's something that I, that I cared deeply about. I couldn't even imagine how difficult it would have been for nearly two decades having to always be, quote-unquote, on and, and the fun guy and the nice guy and the charming guy when he wasn't feeling great. And, and I just that existence must, must have been awful. Finally, I think he changed the comedic acting in the 90s and early 2000s. And even after he changed it, he was unmatched in his physical comedy. And it's hard to find anybody that you can compare. I think it's very difficult to find another actor to compare to Jim Carrey in his physical comedic abilities. For that, I'm going to give him a pretty high score. And I'm, I'm a big fan of him. And I'm, uh, I feel good about my score. And I'm not going to let you guys bully me. I'm going to give him a 92. Ooh. All right. I like that. All right. So with, uh, with Jim Carrey, Everybody's going to say the the same stuff, basically, and I, I I do agree with a lot of it. There's just compared to like all the other actors that we've talked about, there's definitely a almost beyond like below a zero awards footprint if uh, each Golden Globe is xed out by a Razzie. Um, but those movies that got Razzies, they're awesome. Yep. And people just didn't know what they were talking about at the time. And that's fine. You know, it, it's hard comparing them to any of the other actors. Like it's of the other actors, the easiest one to compare them to is like Chris Rock. They're comedians. They don't really have anything drama wise, <clears throat> but they both had a huge impact on 
uh, comedy at that time. And, you know, both are huge, huge namesakes um, and both very, very popular still in, in the industry. Um, for me, I'm probably, I'm going to end up giving him, I'm going to give him an 81. Uh, I still love him. He's, he's great, but I mean, he won't have anything else come out that captures my attention like it did, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and that's just, that's just part of the game, but you know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's past, he's well past his prime. And if he, you know, does more stuff, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ever really going to watch a show on like his, like I know the kidding show, the, the review you gave Rod Maker was great. And just kind of given that synopsis, but Life, I, life's too short to watch a show like that to just depress the shit out of me. So I'm not going to do it. But I just don't know if he's going to be able to reprise those same roles. And I don't want him to bring him back just like in Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. But that's what I fell in love with. And I just don't think we're ever going to see that from him or from anybody else quite like that again. I was so impressed by the documentary. Just seeing him behind the scenes take on this character and, and how much he commits to each role. Same way people have some Golden Globe love. He's done some good stuff in some areas, but is, you know, at this point, the most Razzies anybody has gotten from anyone we've covered was Daryl Hannah with two of them. And he's doubled that up in a matter of like four or five years. But the sheer number of memorable comedic characters that he has is unreal and has to be taken into account. Like when it's hard for us to build a top 10, that's when I know we're talking about somebody that's done a lot of really good work in the in their career. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna kind of split the difference a little bit between the you two a little bit closer to Warren. I'm gonna give him an 83. Oh, hold on, am I learning that Razzies are a bad thing? Only if you're Adam Sandler. <laughs> it's such a fun name. I thought that was a positive award, like it was a positivity award. <laughs> yeah. So I I you know I won't I won't add anything too crazy that hasn't really been said. You know I was trying to think through comedic like physical comedic actors similar to him and the only one i even had to like kind of poke around online to try to get some names flowing the only one i could even think of was like a rowan atkinson who's like kind of similar i'm a big seinfeld guy i love michael richards i think he's an amazing like physical comedian as well yeah but just like jim carrey's good comparison yeah he's like kind of in his own space there and if you look, you think through like your top comedians, most of the time you don't see such a good range of them. There's maybe one or two, but usually they're flops. Carrie has several that are worth watching still, and his performances don't bring you out of that, uh, which I think is commendable. I think a lot of comedic actors try to go that route and it just doesn't work for them. It does for him. You know, and t- Kyle, to your point, like, you know, we could all have a different go to Carrie comedy movie, and all of them are, are fantastic. So. I'm in a very similar space. I think, you know, you have Carrie on a project. He's someone that almost like necessitates a rewrite or like pulling away from the script a bit to like let him improvise and do his thing. And we've seen that happen time and time again with these different stories of scenes or lines that were improvised and land in the movie and are some of the more memorable lines that you come away with. So, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you all. I'm going to put him at an 84 there's no way I can keep this short because I fucking love this guy. <laughs> he, he's like a, a once in a generation meteor. Like, I just think he's the king of physical comedy to the point where we didn't know what we were watching, but we just like knew we wanted to keep watching him because for some reason his weird slapstick humor was working. It was super entertaining. 
I don't think you can tell the story of 90s pop culture, let alone like movies, but pop culture in general without acknowledging Jim Carrey. I think that was such a, a like a rocket ship to superstardom that he started in the late 80s and by like the mid 90s he's the richest paid actor like that's not and we're talking like seven straight hits of like of some of the best movies we've ever seen liar liars on my mount rushmore of comedies i absolutely love that movie i do agree though that i think the guys that are on this podcast right now are probably the perfect generation to hold him close to our chest but i still acknowledge that the younger generations probably aren't going to understand what they're watching when they see his movie. So I do think it'll be lost unless he continues to make movies like that. But I, I just don't see it. I agree with you guys on that. But while that might fade with time, the only thing I really knock him for is he has a stupid fucking anti-vax belief. And if, if of all the things that you, you know, I could knock you for in your personal life is a, like one dumb political opinion, like, that's pretty good for someone who's fucking clearly like going through some serious shit. And, and that is why I'm going to uh, actually agree with you, Rodemaker, and give him an 84. All right, Rigby, round us out, baby. Yeah, you guys hit everything. His, I think his name recognition probably him at the top of the people we've covered just in terms of his impact in the 90s and still th- to this day. People just know who the guy is. You know his physical comedy. You know his famous lines. You know his famous roles. He's kind of fallen off the map a little bit since like the, I would say like 2000, you know, probably after like Yes Man, just kind of disappeared from movies that, you know, from the leading man in comedies, which is, which is too bad, but that also might not, it might be his choice. You know, we, we've obviously talked about his battle with mental health and, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes you just need to take a break with stuff. That might have been a decision. I wish he would have not been in dark times, but that's that. Like I mentioned that, <laughs> like I mentioned, he's not the worst part of that movie. So I'm not going to dock him too much for that. But I think where he gets the most points with me is just the overall star power and name recognition. He's when somebody asks like for a, I think, it, I think even today, like if you were to say who's like the funniest, one of the funniest actors, Jim Carrey is in the top three of what people say. And I think there's something that, that deserves to be said for that. So all that being said, I'm going to give him an 88. Nice. Warren, what do we got? Uh, that gives Jim Carrey an 85.33, which puts him at fourth. Oh. And puts him behind Emma Thompson and ahead of Willem Dafoe. I mean, nice. Laura, Linney's, Laura Linney's top five reign was short-lived. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the man deserves his respect. Yes, he does. Is he your first, the first, like, comedian that high up there? Yes. Everyone else is dramatic, aren't they? Every yeah, every everybody else is up there is dramatic. Mm-hmm. The next highest like comedic act, actor that I would put up there would probably be Sam Rockwell for the most part, but then like Allison Janney. Yeah. The only thing he's got coming soon is Sonic the Hedgehog two, which is in post production. It's going to come out next year, and we'll see Tails and Knuckles, and should be fun if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> Next episode's going to land December 16th, and the featured guest for that one is Cam Sully, Cam Sullivan of the Jacked Up Review Show. Um, he was previously here for Keith David episode. The actors on the wheel for that episode are Mindy Sterling, Eric Bana, Dennis Haysbert, Alicia Silverstone, and Nick Frost. Who do you think Cam would pick 
and who would you want to participate in or avoid? Nick Frost. I don't know, two Maybe names Sterling. on there. Hey, yeah. Doctor. <laughs> and Frau, you look exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's who Mindy yeah, Sterling Mindy is? Sterling. Yeah, she's, yes, she's Frau Farber now from uh, Austin Powers. I'm running off a high here from Jim Carrey, and you're throwing Frau from... That's, I was joking. I don't want to do Frau. I don't want to do <laughs> I'd take Nick, Nick Frost or Eric Bana. Yeah, I agree. Eric Bana for sure. Eric Bana for me. Nick Frost is hysterical. Yeah, he is. I have no idea who Dennis Haysbert is. Yeah, you do. He's, jo- he's Jobo. He's an all-state guy. He's a president yeah, in yeah. 24. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Serrano. Yep. Yes, yep. Pedro Serrano. Good call, Warren. Bartender. Jobu needs a refill. Have to wake up. <laughs> Once you get that all state money, you don't you don't need to act anymore, man. You just count those checks. Oh yeah, yeah. And we've seen it, Alicia on this list before. He gets a high Munson meter for me just off insurance rates. <laughs> you know, people like people like know who the guy is because every he's in a commercial. Every- yeah, that's that's the only reason why I like J.K. Simmons too. Yeah, he's the yellow <laughs> M&M, right? <laughs> Rigby's Munson meter is a little bit different than the rest. If you haven't figured that out by now, then. Yeah, right. Tough luck. Who do we think Cam would pick? Banna. Nick Frost. Who do you, who do you do last time? Pete David. Oh, I don't got to read. Uh, I'm still sticking with Banna. I'm going with Banna. Sticking with Banna? Well, we'll find out here in a couple days when we release it out to the world. But Cam doesn't decide, the wheel decides. Yeah, sure it does. I bet it fucking decides. Walker made himself laugh. That is the best part of that. <laughs> Well, as we wrap this thing up, Rod Maker, always happy to have you, man. You always provide a great perspective. Yeah, dude. And you pick absolute bangers to be here. Any plugs you want to make? Any words of wisdom for audience? Man, I was thinking about that earlier. I I don't know that I have anything, really. I mean, we're coming up on the holidays. I guess I would say, you know, shop small and everybody make sure you take some time to enjoy it with the family. I think, you know, last year or so, it's been rough for everyone, so... We'll double down. We'll appreciate it a little bit. Enjoy the time we have. And everybody have a good holiday, whatever you celebrate. And let's have a, a better uh, 2022. Right? Hell yeah, man. Damn, man. I'm going to go watch a fucking Hallmark movie Yeah, now. dude. I'm fucking I'm my eyes yeah. fired up. No shit. You just came up with that on the spot? That was fucking awesome. I'm going to go. I'm going to write a handwritten note to my mom. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Next time Rodmaker's on, I'm coming. Yeah, back, dude, I feel man. great. I know, I'm gonna, I know, I'm gonna watch banging movies, <laughs> and then I'm gonna get a pep talk, and I'm gonna go go to bed happy. It's always a pleasure. Every time I look up at the time, and I'm like, shit, man, was that actually three hours or what? But it is genuinely always a good time yeah. talking movies with you guys. I love the lead up, walking into it. You guys are excellent critics, and uh, it's just always fun to shoot the shit with you. Also, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, you're the man. Was fucking a, hard, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Let us know when you when those movies release. We'll make sure we share them. I will. People. Yeah, I'll uh, yeah. I'll get something out there for you. Cool. As we wrap this thing up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from our boy Jim Carrey? What you have just done is illegal. And in this state, if convicted, you could be fined up to $5,000 or spend six months in a correctional facility. You're dead, you're dead. <laughs> you are too easy. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?